الجزيرة بودكاست After weeks of protests, ethnic Serbs in Kosovo have agreed to take down their barricades. Hopes are high that the latest flare-up intentions will now calm down. But how fragile is the peace between Serbs and Kosovars? I'm Imran Khan and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our three guests from Budapest, Mimosa Kusari-Lila. She's the former Deputy Prime Minister of Kosovo and a current member of Parliament. From Belgrade, Helena Ivanov. She is an Associate Research Fellow at the Henry Jackson Society and a Serbia Analyst. And finally, from Graz, Florian Bieber. He is a Professor of Southeast European History and Politics and the Director of the Centre for Southeast European Studies at the University of Graz. A warm uh, welcome to you all. I'd like to begin in Belgrade with uh, Helena Ivanov. Um, at the heart of all of this, and this uh, is something that flares up uh, from time to time, is Serbia's refusal to recognize Kosovo as an independent state. What are the barriers to that? Well, I think, you know, very obviously, this is a situation whereby Serbia and its government feel that a part of its territory has unilaterally declared independence. And from Belgrade's point of view, recognition of Kosovo is just not an option. The second concern that the Serbian government has as well is the safety and security of the Serbs who live in the north. And lately, they have been communicating that they do not have the confidence that Kosovo authorities will indeed protect the Serbs who live in um, northern Kosovo. And I think, you know, from Kosovo's point of view, anything but a complete independence is also unacceptable. So we basically have two sides with completely mutually exclusive political aims. Uh, Mimosa Kasari-Lila, why don't you look after the ethnic Serbs in the north of the country? Why don't you simply give them the rights that they need? That's what our guest in Belgrade is saying. Um, Actually, Mr. Khan, I think the uh, main uh, deficiency here is the uh, lack of principles and proper arguments, because in Kosovo, there are 10 municipalities with majority of Serbian population. Four out of 10 uh, are located in the north of the country. And it's not a matter of not giving them the right they're requesting. It's a matter of Belgrade using them to instrumentalize uh, their politics in the country of Kosovo. And Kosovo has declared independence in 2008, but Serbia sent the case in 2010 at the International Court of Justice that had declared there were no violations to international law. So the declaration of independence of Kosovo has been in full accordance with the international law and also the right of uh, everyone who lives in Kosovo, including Albanians, Serbs, Bosnian, Turks, and other minorities, is uh, fully legitimate. So what we are uh, facing now is the last uh, mechanism of Alexander Vucic, the president of Serbia, to play and interfere, interfere uh, in Kosovo affairs. Actually, the most important is to state that the recent attacks on Kosovo Serbs have not happened by Albanian, Kosovo Albanians, nor Kosovo institution, but by Serbian gangs directly orchestrated by Vucic. Uh, we had a lot of uh, properties being damaged. We had cars burned. Uh, that were as a sign to Kosovo Serbs that you don't uh, actually obey to Kosovo rules and Kosovo institutions uh, because we were threatening you. So I think this is the uh, last chain of attempts to actually hold Kosovo um, under their, uh, their direction or intervene in Kosovo affairs. But as we've seen it, it's not sustainable, first of all, and second, uh, Belgrade needs to let go of Kosovo Serb living in the north to live their life in 
uh, independent Kosovo as it's actually the situation with other Serbs who live uh, on the south part of uh, Ibar River. Uh, Florian, I'm going to bring you in in just a second, but I would like to get uh, Helena's uh, thoughts on those comments. Are the ethnic Serbs being used as a political tool uh, by Belgrade? Well, you know, as, as I always say in my research, I think politicians across the globe, and Serbia is not always an exception here, do play the nationalist card whenever they see it convenient for their political gains. However, the fact that that is sometimes potentially done is not the same as saying that certain concerns that Serbs in the North might have are not legitimate. And, you know, one of the things that's always been the most difficult part of negotiations between Belgrade and Pristina is the association of municipalities uh, of the Serbs in, in the North, which is something that they are requiring to do. So, I, I think the I think the situation is a bit more complicated and complex rather than just one side using Serbs from the north for their political gains. Uh, let me bring in Florian Bieber here. Florian, uh, is it much more complicated uh, than one side using another? Well, I mean, it, it, of course, it's complicated. I mean, I, you know, I think it's very clear that the prime, you know, responsibility for the escalation we've seen in recent weeks has been the kind of very. Uh, heavy-handed kind of response to Kosovo's attempt to introduce uniform license plates across the country by Belgrade and encouraging Kosovo Serbs in the north to respond in a very intense manner. That doesn't mean that there aren't legitimate grievances. I would agree with Helena that there are concerns. It's not that they don't have the minority rights. The rights are, are well established. It's just about kind of making a credible offer by the Kosovo institutions sometimes to really incorporate the Serbs, to give them a sense that it's also their state. And this kind of sense of unease is something which Vucic is playing on, is amplifying, and of course he is controlling it. I mean, we have to keep in mind that the main political party of Serbs in, the, in Kosovo is basically controlled by Belgrade, and so Belgrade tells the Kosovo Serb political representatives what to do, including a few weeks ago to withdraw from the institutions of Kosovo. And all of that really has been heating up the tensions, and it goes back to a point which Helena was saying earlier about, you know, Kosovo insists on independence. I mean, that's uh, normal after uh, 13 years of independence, and Serbia doesn't accept it. But the question is really, why are we still in this place after 10 years of dialogue between Serbia and Kosovo mediated by the European Union? Why haven't we moved towards uh, a more calmer relations, not recognition, but just an environment where those kind of tensions are unimaginable? I think there, the prime responsibility really lies with Serbia not trying to, in a certain way, calm the atmosphere and moving towards accepting the status quo it doesn't mean recognition but it just means accepting the fact that there's a government in Kosovo which acts like a state uh, it's an interesting question let's ask it to Mimosa Kasari Lila why have these talks failed why have we even not got to a place where you can have an environment for talks actually because uh, the talks failed since uh, as I beginning uh, started saying at the beginning of this interview, uh, it was not a matter on principles. Uh, there was uh, no uh, respect on the agreement. It was always very hard to implement agreement reached in Brussels, first of all, and then the second. It was created a sense that within these 10 years of intensive talks, uh, oftentimes and uh, then at a, at a later times, uh, less intensive talks, there was a different uh, approach of Serbia on the ground versus uh, what it was discussed or what we was trying to reach in Brussels. During these past 10 years, we had Serbia increasing the number of the military presence around the border with Kosovo. We had the situation actually even worsening rather than 
uh, improving in between two countries, in particular when it comes to um, uh, the security and the presence of, uh, of Kosovo institutions in terms of uh, what happened in the north. We had the agreement on the inclusion of uh, Kosovo Serbs in the northern municipalities in Kosovo institutions, but then, as we've seen it recently, have been directly under the directives of Vucic. Uh, also, in relation to uh, what Mr. Beaver was saying earlier on the representation of Lista Srpska, one political party representing Kosovo Serbs in Kosovo parliament and in other institutions, we've seen that their reaction has not been, and their representation on uh, representing actually the need of Kosovo Serbs, be that in the north or in the south, but more represented in Vucic's policies in Kosovo. So as a member of parliament in three consecutive terms, I've seen that had never uh, Lista Srpska or their MPs had raised any issue right. our daily lives of Kosovo Serbs, okay. mostly had been regarding or intervening about any request that came directly from Vucic. Uh, Helena, can you just explain to us what Belgrade's point of view is? Why have these talks failed? Well, from Belgrade's point of view, or at least how the government is arguing, basically they're saying that in the latest months, any attempt to negotiate have failed because they argue that Kosovo authorities don't seem to be willing to negotiate anymore. It is basically the statement that we can hear Vucic say almost any time he leaves Brussels. And one particular point of contestation has been the Association of Serb Municipalities in northern Kosovo. And, and I think, you know, if, if we're going to look at it from an objective point of view, I think one of the big reasons as to why negotiations are not working is because both sides are often resorting to blaming the other side and to not at all looking at the potential problems that they themselves are posing. That, that's exactly why I said at the beginning that this picture is way more complicated. Is Serbia always having its behavior at like at its best? No. Has Serbia sometimes frustrated negotiations? Most certainly. But has Kosovo done the same? Absolutely yes. This is that, that that's what I'm saying. I think trying to see this thing from the other side's point mm. of view and trying to understand the other side's grievances might actually be a better way forward when it comes to when it comes to negotiations here. Uh, Mimosa, I'll get your thoughts in just a second, but I do want to bring in Florian Bieber here. Florian, it's very difficult to negotiate anything when there's a massive troop buildup on your border, as we've seen uh, happen quite regularly from Serbia. Is that part of the problem? Well, I mean, these troop buildups are more bluster. I mean, you know, really, uh, you know, Kosovo is protected by NATO-led peacekeeping troops. For Serbia to imagine crossing this boundary or border, um, you know, this would escalate things. Serbia doesn't want to risk a war with NATO. So I think this is not really to be taken seriously. I think much more serious is the fact that Serbia has been intervening indirectly into Kosovo uh, through its, you know, kind of more illicit, uh, less visible security structures. But, you know, I think what, what is really the case, and this is, I mean, some of the blame needs to go back to the European Union. And I, I would agree with Helena that both countries have not been implementing all of the commitments they've signed up to. The problem is all of the commitments they've signed up to over the last decade, including the first kind of breakthrough Brussels agreement nine years ago, um, are very lacking in detail. So we don't know exactly what did they sign up to. And they're kind of more like statements of intent. Uh, and because they didn't want to kind of commit to a full contract. And so we don't really know often who is to blame for non-implementation. It's true that both sides have not lived up to the commitments they have made 
made on paper, but those commitments are very thin. So when Helena was talking about the Serb um, Association of Municipalities, which is supposed to be established, there's great controversy whether that's kind of another layer of government, as Serbia argues, or whether, as Kosovo argues, it's just kind of more an informal network of those uh, of those municipalities. And right. both sides are holding back because they're anticipating some talk about the final status, which would entail some kind of recognition by Serbia of Kosovo. And that's why it's hard to move forward. Uh, Mimosa, you were in, listening intently there to what Florian was saying. Do you agree that both sides uh, have actually not implemented the agreements that they were supposed to? Absolutely not. For the first and the most important fact that the agreement is supposed to be and the discussion and negotiation for full normalization of relations between two countries evolving in a final recognition and mutual recognition. That's first. The second is that has been so much changing within this decade uh, in the dialogue as well. And this is uh, when I initially mentioned that there are no principle and values, because if it is the principle that two countries have to normalize relation, and actually discuss about the full normalization, that it's not about discussing about internal affair of the other country. If, for example, in principle system, if we're talking about the minority rights in Kosovo or asking for the Association of Municipalities of Serbia in Kosovo, then we can ask the question back to Serbia, are you willing to establish the Association of Hungarians uh, municipalities in Serbia or other minorities in Serbia, first of all? Second, the initial agreement that was signed in 2013 and then renegotiated in 2015 with additional layers that was declared uh, against, that it was declared actually in violation of our constitution, had foreseen the association of all 10 municipalities of, uh, with majority of Serbian population to engage uh, or be a part of the association of Serbian municipalities. Whereas from 2017 to 2020, we had a discussion for the changes of borders. Helena, what we're hearing from Florian Bieber is there needs to be some movement in the talks for both sides to get round a table. If you can agree on some things, then the other things don't seem to be that big a deal anymore and agreements can be made. But having listened to what Mimosa is saying, you seem to be very, very far away from even the basics. There's no agreements in the near future, right? I, I would completely agree with that. And I think that is exactly why, for instance, the car registration plates escalated as much as it did. I know that to someone who is not from the region or doesn't follow the context of the region, it might seem a bit even silly that something like car registration plates can escalate to a point in which it did. The problem is that for the two sides, this is either seen as giving up sovereignty from Serbia's point of view or substantially gaining sovereignty from Kosovo's point of view. And that's the reason why it is so hard to get the deal. Because any even minor deals, any administrative deals, at their bottom, at their heart, are actually about sovereignty, whether Kosovo is gaining it or whether Serbia is losing it, which is why it is extremely, extremely difficult to come up with a deal that, that would work. And when you add to the fact that, you know, the two sides are more focused on blaming one another than actually trying to find a functional language, that's just yet another level of, of obstacles for, for reaching a functional deal between the two sides. Uh, Florian, we are talking about two very young states here, both of them that fought a battle for national identity after the breakup of former Yugoslavia. All of that has to play into this, right? It's about national identity, sovereignty, as Helena says. Indeed it is. But, you know, 10 years ago, it looked a lot more promising that these things would become less uh, front and centre of the process. I mean, the EU really put the incentive for both to move beyond on the table by saying, 
if you come to a settlement, membership is more likely. You're going to join the union. And this is really where the whole thing has been stumbling. Um, attraction of joining the European Union is much less there than it was a decade ago, especially in Serbia. There's barely a majority in favor of joining the EU. And the government has been kind of deliberately downplaying the attractiveness of EU membership. And the EU did its own part. And that really undermines this whole, in a certain way, to transform this not into a zero from a zero-sum game into something where actually both parties stand to win and this is really where where things are stuck in many ways without an offer for both especially for Serbia which can live with the status quo much better than Kosovo can there's really no way of moving things out of it and let's keep in mind the current conflict is also triggered by the fact that Germany and France put a proposal on the table which would normalize relations without Serbia recognizing Kosovo. And it's really in, in response to this proposal that things have escalated to a large degree because Serbia has no interest in this proposal because this would actually kind of reduce tensions and would not allow it for the Serbian government to use it for domestic purposes. And this is you know, the main kind of immediate trigger which brought this escalation about in recent months. Uh, now, Mimosa, what Florian Bieber seems to be saying is that one of the big incentives for peace is a European Union membership. But certainly in Serbia, that's not as popular as perhaps it once was. And in, even in Kosovo, that's maybe not as popular as it once was. So what is the incentive for peace for you guys? It's very important, actually, to focus on the right of the communities in Kosovo, including Serbian community. I think with the Atisari package that was presented right at the Declaration of Independence in Kosovo, uh, the rights of minorities in Kosovo are definitely much more advanced than maybe in some of the EU countries. And if we are focusing on implementing those rights and cooperating and include, increasing the uh, domestic dialogue, between Kosovo institution and Serbian community living in the four north municipalities. I think this is the uh, a major uh, improvement, actually, but includes Kosovo internal affairs. Whereas in relation to Serbia, I think just the matter of applicable international uh, law, the same as it was with the rule of International Court of Justice, that Kosovo's independence did not violate international law, think this should be a, a good ground. I mean, we're talking about here Serbia, that is a country that has a status of candidate country for the European Union. And I think it has to be more advanced, definitely, in actually reflecting on the principles and values and the rights of communities in Serbia uh, for uh, other majorities, other minorities, excuse me. Sorry, uh, like uh, Mimosa, we are minority. running out of time, and it's a very interesting point you make, and I do want to bring it up with Helena. I mean, there is a law of diminishing returns here. The EU has had a role for 10 years. However, it seems to get weaker every stage of negotiation. Are we at the stage now where the EU role is just simply unhelpful? Well, I, I wouldn't say that it is unhelpful. I think the international community's presence uh, is something that is often crucial for de-escalating any tensions, as we've seen in the last few days and as we've seen in the summer. Um, I also think that the international community's involvement in general is serving as a very good deterrence for both sides, not to overly escalate. So I wouldn't say that it's not helpful. What I would say, however, is that it's leverage and its ability to respond effectively or to really influence um, the relevant actors is, is decreasing over the years, partly because the confidence, at least on Serb from Serbia's point of view, the confidence that Serbia will ever really join the bloc is incredibly low because the negotiations have been dragging on 
And, you, you know, it, that's that's what I think is actually the case with the EU. Uh, Florian Bieber, if Moscow simply turned around and said, OK, you guys make peace, peace would happen, right? Well, I don't think so. I mean, you know, Serbia is pursuing its own interests, its own agenda. It's not not really, you know, it's it's looking for protection from Russia when it comes to UN membership of Kosovo. But Serbia is its own actor. It has its own interests. And it's going to do what, you know, especially the current government, we have to also distinguish between society at large and the government. The government has a particular agenda, and that's keeping the status quo, because it's also domestically, we have to keep in mind, Serbia has becoming less democratic over the last decade. It's been the government of Vucic has been really, um, really uh, downgrading uh, media freedoms, independent institutions. And so in a certain way, the Kosovo conflict helps him to distract from this issue. And so from that point of view, he does what he sees in his, his best interest, no matter what, you know, other actors might say. Uh, Mimosa, what do you think of that? What do you think that, of the idea that actually uh, Russia doesn't have that much of a role to play in Serbia anymore? I know you've been critical of th those things before. Well, actually, I share some, somehow slightly different opinion. I think there is a uh, major uh, role of Russia to play in Serbia. However, uh, considering the recent events, in particular of the unprovoked aggression of Russia toward Ukraine, and actually uh, Serbia not making a clear statement on dividing itself from uh, that invasion. Yes, on the international or in the uh, foreign affairs for Serbia is not a very beneficial point. Uh, when it comes to Kosovo, I think there has been focus in general to actually try to overturn the events of 99 when Serbia lost war. Um, and then trying to gain uh, in a dialogue something that is lost during the war. And that is very uh, destructive objective in itself because you are not thinking about the peace and you are not thinking, regardless of what they're saying, you're not thinking about the normalization, but you're thinking of how you actually can switch the reality that had happened in the ground that had been developed uh, in recent years, including the Declaration of Independence, the, the democratic institutions of Kosovo, uh, but you're actually trying to mm. uh, claim everything as victory, as it happens with recent events in four municipalities in north of Kosovo, with barricades and with uh, actually forcing Serbs to leave the Kosovo institution, those that have been in position in northern municipalities. I want to thank all our guests, uh, Mimosa Kusari-Lila, uh, Helena Ivanov and Florian Bieber. This episode was produced by David Fleming, Nihad Elabedi, Sarah Gill and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Ellie Hani. The programme was directed by Ben Borden and edited by Lynn Engwin and Joe DeFries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. And thank you for listening. Tune in on Friday for our next episode.